after talking about big questions that need big answers and the the foundation of our answers is this book um, it's God's word and it informs uh, it, it should inform our presuppositions uh, and our dare I say our prejudices if, if you're going to be prejudiced in any direction can I just encourage you to be prejudiced in this direction, towards this book? Um, you'll, you'll be okay. Uh, many times, I, there are a number of speakers that I like to listen to who uh, are very good at defending the Christian faith and the biblical worldview. And they, they say the same thing that I have found out, that even uh, a lot of people, even if they could find out that uh, the Bible was true and Christianity is the only way to get to heaven, uh, it's the only way to have a right relationship with God, it wouldn't matter to many people. They would still reject that life. Um, say, why would anybody do that if they knew that it was the truth. If they knew God's word was true, and if they knew Christianity was the right way to live, was the right way uh, to, to make it to heaven, the only way to make it to heaven, why would they reject it? Because they want to do life on their own terms. And that's why. So we have transitioned. Last week we, we talked about... Um, uh, people picking and choosing, and we talked about the relevance of the Bible, and I'm kind of transitioning into a phase uh, of this uh, where uh, I've called it Bible difficulties, but really I should probably uh, reframe it to say not just Bible difficulties, but the Bible and social issues. So, so I wanted to give you just a little bit of a heads up that starting this morning and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in some territory that may make some people a little uncomfortable uh, because we're looking at some of the big issues that uh, are facing our world, the world that we live in today. I mean, what good is Christianity, what good is the Bible, what good is the religion if it doesn't inform us about our everyday issues? Amen? It ought to address the concerns that we have that we live with on a day-to-day -day basis and say, well, what about this? What about that? And today, um, talking about religion and politics. Religion and politics. Don't get too nervous. The two topics that everyone says, possibly some of you here, your mother may have told you, don't talk about religion and politics. If you're in, if you're in a, a public venue or uh, ha having a conversation and you want it to remain civil, don't talk about religion and politics. You know, either, either one of them on their own uh, is enough to make a lot of people run for the hills. Uh, if you put them together, 
you have the potential for an explosive combination. Somebody smile at me. Okay, a few of you are smiling at me. Good, thank you. That, that helps me. Um, it is completely coincidental that this sermon landed on this day that we are learning to call Patriot Day, the anniversary of the attacks uh, on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon uh, on 9-11-2001. 21 years ago now. Isn't that hard to believe? These attacks on our nation grew out of a religious and political uh, ideology and fervor uh, that uh, combined together has led many people to believe that they should never mix. Have you ever thought about that? Growing out of the attacks on 9-11, people look at that and often say, well, this is, this is what you get when you mix religion and politics. Do you get it? things like the attacks on the World Trade Center. So big question that needs a big answer for Christians that live in America in the 21st century. Should they mix? If they should mix, what side should we choose? Should Christians be involved? Or should we just kind of separate ourselves and say, let's let somebody else deal with that messy work. Should Christians be involved? Well, the short answer is yes. Yes, you should. Yes, we should. Why? Why should they be involved? Well, the first reason that I want to present to you this morning that Christians ought to be involved in politics is something to do with influence. Christians ought to participate in politics of our world today because of the influence that it has on society. If you think about it, politics touches literally almost every area of our lives. From the way that we practice our uh, religion and our religious beliefs to uh, the uh, economy of our world. It has to do with influence. Let me try to give you an illustration of what I mean and the impact that politics has. I don't know how well you can see this image, but this is a satellite image of the Korean Peninsula at night. So what you see here is South Korea, and this very bright area, all of that light together is the city of Seoul, uh, South Korea. And what you see here that you can't even distinguish from the sea around it is North Korea. Do you notice the difference? It's the difference is obvious. You see the border there clearly defined between South Korea and North Korea. Uh, South Korea filled with light filled with productivity and actually in some ways one of the most Christianized countries in the world that we live in. And then the nation of North Korea, mostly completely dark. And there is essentially one major reason for the difference between North and South Korea. And that is, if, if you were want to be a little more detailed, you would say, well, it's freedom in the South, and democracy, and then communism 
in the north. Summed up in one word, what would that word be? It would be politics. It would be a difference in the politics of those nations. If we look at Scripture and what the Scripture teaches us about the Christian's influence in the world that we live in, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I don't really have to read it to you, but I, I will just to take just a moment. Uh, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. You, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Christians are called to be an influence in the society in which we live. And friends, to separate ourselves from the world of politics and say, no, that doesn't have anything to do with me. In fact, many people see that world as, as anti-Christian. And I will grant you the case that there is much that goes on in the world of politics that is anti-Christian. But friends, all the more reason for us to stand up and say, this is not your country alone. This is our country too. And to let our voices be heard and our influence be heard. We are called as Christians, not just as citizens, but as Christians, to be salt and light in this world that we live in. Another verse of scripture that I would read to you from the writings of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You know what this tells me, friends, is if you and I want to continue enjoying the freedoms that we do in this country of ours, living out, able to engage and practice our religion as we would like to and do it in a way that is peaceful and does not, uh, does not interfere or, or uh, press upon us the values of another system, of another worldview, then one, yes, we need to be praying for the leaders of our country, but we also need to be engaging and exercising the freedoms that we enjoy. That means we do our civic duty, our civic responsibility, and try to be an influence in this world that we live in. As we think about the influence that we are able to have as Christians, the influence that we have the responsibility to undertake as Christians. Often people ask this question or, or they will make this statement, but we can't legislate morality. We can't legislate morality. And I would say, oh really? I, I'll have to be honest with you and tell you that I... I have at times had this way of thinking that we cannot reg legislate morality. And uh, I've even made that statement myself. But on reflection uh, about this, I have to say I beg to differ. The reality is we must legislate morality. 
You see, what people, I think, are really concerned about is legislating religion. You see, there is a difference between religion and morality. Religion has to do with our duty to God. Morality has to do with our duty to each other. Religion is something that is personal. It shouldn't necessarily be private, but it is personal. It is a personal decision. To be quite honest, I'm glad that I live in a country where people are free to be a Hindu or to follow the religion of Islam if they choose to. I'm glad for that. Say, Pastor, are you glad for that? Yes, I'm glad for that, because that means if they're free to follow their religion, then I'm, I'm free to follow what I believe is the truth. And you see, friends, with only humanity involved, we do not want to see a theocracy in our land. What we want is freedom of religion, for everyone to be free to choose the religion, and that gives us the freedom to engage in our beliefs as well as anybody else in any other creed. Be careful. It is something that I have at times, it is a direction I have at times seen the church going. The more involved we have gotten in politics, it is a direction that would at times seem to threaten other people, other of other beliefs, of other religious worldviews, would threaten their freedom to engage their practices. And friends, to that I say, we need to be careful. Because the maintaining of the freedom for them is also the maintaining of our own freedom. Religion is personal. Morality is public. It is our duty to each other. It is public. Religion is something that we ought to be free to choose. Morality is something that sometimes needs to be imposed. Every time the uh, police officer pulls over a, a drunk driver, they're imposing morality. And it needs to be done. And some people would say, well... You know, all law, and I, and I do want to be clear about this, all laws have to do with legislating morality, every law. And the concern of some would be this question, if, if we're legislating morality, then what's to keep us from going to extremes like the Islamic terrorists? Because when they attack people that don't agree with them, aren't they trying to impose their morality? Or what about, here's one, if you've ever engaged someone in uh, a conversation about being a Christian or, or the Bible, often they will talk about the Crusades and, and all of the evil that has been uh, committed, the atrocities committed throughout world history uh, in the name of Christ and the Christian religion. Quite honestly, friends, we cannot deny that that has happened. But the answer, friends, is simple to those, uh, to those objections. You see, if we keep to the primary law that Jesus gave us, that is the law of love, 
But we are called above all to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we keep to that law, then we will never go wrong. You see, friends, the Islamic terrorist is being true to his ideology when uh, he engages in extremist uh, viewpoints and committing violence against those that do not believe what he believes. But the Christian who advocates violence and extremist responses in order to advance a political agenda is denying the very teachings of Jesus Christ that he's claiming to try and advance. So, friends, we don't need to worry about going the direction of the extremist groups as long as we stick to this book. As long as we say, I'm going to engage this world that I live in with the law that Jesus gave me, first and foremost above all other laws, the law of love, to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Engaging in politics for the Christian has to do uh, with influence. It also, in, in our engagement of politics, we need to remember our primary, our primary identity. Our primary identity. We could identify ourselves in many ways. If someone were to ask you who you are, you might give your name, and then they would say, yes, but who are you? Tell me about yourself. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm married to Rachel Bender, me, I'm talking about me, not you, me. I'm married to Rachel, Rachel McIntyre Bender. I have six children. Ethan, Scott, Zeb, Lee, and Noah, Ivy. Um, my oldest has moved away. He's married. I, I've, I could talk about my, my hobbies, the things I enjoy. Um, if we were talking about politics, someone would ask me about my political identity. And the temptation might be to say, well, I'm primarily conservative. I identify with a certain political party. Um, to talk about the concerns that I have about our nation, you could say, you know, you could talk about being a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or, or Independent or what have you. But friends, none of those things are our primary identity. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 talks to us about our primary identity. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17, he says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly or their appetites, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul was writing here to the church at Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. You see, in the days of the Roman Empire, here and there in strategic military centers, the Romans set up colonies. And in such places, the citizens there were mostly soldiers uh, who had served their time in the Roman army, a, a period of 21 years. And because of their service, they had been awarded with full citizenship of Rome. And the great common characteristic of these colonies was that wherever they were, they remained fragments of Rome. They wore Roman uh, style of dress. The Roman magistrates governed. The Latin tongue, the language of Rome, was the language that they spoke there. Roman justice was administered and Roman morals were observed. Even in the ends of the earth, far removed from Rome itself... These Roman colonies existed as little outposts of Rome. It was like, you know, you and I going to a foreign country, and if, we, if you had a problem, you would try to find the, the uh, American embassy. I remember my wife talking about being on a mission trip to Costa Rica a number of years ago, and, and uh, on that trip, they celebrated the 4th of July in Costa Rica at the American Embassy. And when you are there, though you are in, a, in an area that is in another country, once you're inside the gates of that embassy, it's just as if you are in the United States. All the laws and all the ideals uh, uh, are just like being here within the borders of our own country. And friends, that is exactly the way you and I are to live as Christians in this world. Our primary, primary identity should never be about our political party or, or what agenda we want to see uh, supported or come to pass, but it must be that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In the example that we set, we don't live primarily as American patriots, though I believe in being a patriotic person uh, of this country, but our primary example ought to be to set an example of the values of the kingdom of heaven. They should be eternal values, not based on whatever our political party is pushing, whatever uh, the, the person that we plan to vote for, whatever their agenda might be, but they ought to be eternal values. Paul here in the scripture talks about those people who walk as enemies of the Christ, and he says that their God is their belly or their appetite. Isn't that what we see in our world today? People pushing their own agendas, and often it has to do with satisfying their own ungodly appetites. Friends, we don't live that way. We don't push those agendas. But we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven where we set an example that demonstrates eternal values. We live not eagerly awaiting uh, the, uh, the, the primaries uh, that are to take place in just a few months. Uh, we live not eagerly awaiting the next presidential election because we hope that maybe we can get our guy elected into office or our party back in the majority again. But no, we as Christians live eagerly awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come back to set up His own kingdom. And his own rule. 
Amen. That's the truth even if I'm preaching. We must also not forget our primary responsibility. Our primary responsibility, our primary identity is as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Our primary responsibility should be informed by our identity. Hebrews chapter 12, towards the end of the chapter, beginning with verse 18 and following through the rest of the chapter. If you will try to engage with me, this is a little bit of a lengthy uh, reading of Scripture. The end of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 says this, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. What he's writing about there is when God came down on the summit of Mount Sinai and the people were gathered around the the base of the mountain and Moses was going up to meet with God. And the people were terrified. They were afraid. And, And the writer here is saying, that's not what you have come to engage with. Verse 19 They heard the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking." For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Now listen to this, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Friends, if our primary identity as Christians is to be a representative of the citizen, uh, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, then our primary responsibility is to establish God's kingdom on earth and to promote God's glory. To establish and to expand God's kingdom on earth. Friends, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of the Republicans can be shaken. The kingdom of the Democrats can be shaken. Whatever, if, if a third party ever is successful in election, their kingdom can be and will be someday shaken. But friends, we as Christians stand to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken and nothing will ever be right in this country or in this world until King Jesus is in charge. And our primary responsibility as citizens, no, we shouldn't disengage and separate ourselves from uh, the world of politics. We need to engage as citizens, stand up for what we believe is right. 
But remember all the time that our primary responsibility in doing so is to do it in a way that establishes God's kingdom on earth and promotes His glory before men. All of our secondary identities and responsibilities should serve this primary responsibility. Finally, in conclusion, so pastor, which side do we take? Which side do we take? Let me read to you one more little passage of scripture from Joshua chapter 5. Joshua is preparing to lead the Israelite people in the conquest of Canaan. At this point, they're getting ready to lead the uh, Israelite army in what would seem to be a futile military exercise. They are to go and march around Jericho once a day for seven days, and then on the seventh day to march around it seven times. I'm sure there were people saying, what is this? Is just a show of intimidation? What is, this, what is this supposed to accomplish? All this marching and walking. I'm sure by the third or the fourth day, the people in Jericho were maybe starting to feel a sense of relief. All they're doing is marching. In Joshua chapter 5, we read about a time when Joshua is out. He's doing a little a little reconnaissance. He's checking out the situation around Jericho. Verse 13 of Joshua 5 says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. No. What do you mean, no? You know, don't you? That's, isn't that how we, we want to be? You know, everybody, it's interesting how many times we hear politicians on both sides of the aisle quote Scripture to try to support their opinion that God is on their side. And we hear it from both sides and in the middle, too. Joshua said, are you for us or for our enemies, our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? What is happening here, in other words, is this. It doesn't matter so much whether we believe God's on our side or God's not our side. The question is, are we on His side? Are we on His side? And so, friends, if you will excuse me, I'm going to conclude with an illustration that I am shamelessly borrowing from Tony Evans. I don't know how many of you have listened to Tony Evans, but he has some wonderful, wonderful sermon illustrations. This is a, also, I'm, I'm, committing another faux pas in this particular church, but it's an illustration that's borrowed from the sporting athletic world. So again, you forgive me for that too. We've just started football season. I didn't know until somebody mentioned it to me a couple days ago. I said, oh, really? (laughs) Because I don't particularly 
care. But anyhow, um, football season just started, especially in the individual that was talking to me was very excited about college football. So let's imagine that this illustration is talking about college football. When, when a football team plays, first of all, there's two teams on the field. I'm not p- picking any particular team. Let's just say the blue team and the red team. Now, when I picked these colors, I had no intention of associating them with their political Colors. I didn't realize until I'd already done this a little while later that I said, oh, wait a minute, those actually align with our two major political parties. I had no intention of doing that, okay? All right. So two teams take the field, the blue team and the red team. The, there's a home team and a visiting team. And it is the nature of the game that those two teams will not get along. It's part of the game that one is going one direction. Their goal line is on one side of the field, and the other team's goal line is on the other end of the field, and one team is trying to get to their goal line, and the other team is trying to get to their own goal line, and part of the game is that they are intent on them getting to their goal line while at the same time keeping the other team from getting to theirs, and it's just going back and forth, and that's what the game is about. They're both going in opposite directions, and nothing can be done to reconcile those two teams in the game that they are playing. However, there is a third team on the field. That is a team of officials. They are on the field, but not of the field. Are you getting the idea? They are on the field, but not of the field. They are in the midst of the chaos, but friends, they don't belong to the chaos because they belong to another kingdom called the NCAA. And their job, friends, is not to listen to the roar of the crowd, whether the crowd be cheering or whether the crowd be booing, whether they're happy with the decision of the officials or whether they're unhappy with the decision of the officials. Their job is not to listen to the factions that are against each other. Their job is not to listen to the two teams that are playing, both of them trying to win the game. Because you see, friends, they've been given a book, and every decision that they make on that field is supposed to reflect the values of the book that they have been given from the kingdom that they are called to represent. And friends... We belong to another kingdom. We live in this world, but we are not to be of this world. And there are times when our decisions may favor one particular side against the other. And there are other times when our particular decision as it relates to politics might favor the other side. Can, can we just be real honest and say that there's no one political party that has everything right? Would you say amen to that? There are issues at which both parties are wrong. And Christians are responsible not to identify with one particular party against the other as their primary identity, but to say, I belong to the kingdom of heaven. 
and whatever God calls me to by his word, that is the stand that I'm going to take, whether it favors one side or another. We belong to a book, to, to a kingdom. We've been given a book. Friends, now let's go and represent the kingdom that we belong to. Let's live out the influence, the responsibility to have that influence, and let's do it by the book. Amen. Let's stand together.